Amen. If you'd be seated, go ahead and find your Bibles. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. We're right now in a series where we're working through uh, the epistle to Ephesians. On Tuesdays, I meet with our staff. We have our minister's staff meeting. And so this Tuesday, it was the first time that we had met uh, in the new year. And I asked them this question. I said, what, what is the heaviest prayer on your heart for the spiritual well-being of our church? We went around the room and kind of began talking about that. One of the guys said that he prayed for unity, that he prayed for unity amongst the leadership and that that would then trickle down all the way to the children's ministries of our church. And consistent with what we talked about in the passage in Ephesians, how we would be one in Christ. Another one of the guys talked about how he prayed that we would be more consistent, not just in things like attending church and reading the Bible, but consistent in that all of our life would reflect our belief in Christ. And so we bounced ideas and bounced thoughts back and forth, and we finally kind of gathered together that the, the heart that we were longing for, the spiritual growth that we are praying for within our church in 2016, is that as a corporate group, a church, and that as individuals, our identity would be found in Christ. And that we wouldn't just do church, but that Jesus would be the driving force in our lives and not just a accessory. Our conversation continued and we began talking about how America has changed in the t- last 10 years. I mean, you may not have noticed, but, you know, things are kind of changing a little bit in society and in culture. And just about 10 years ago, Christianity was respected in society. Now, not everybody embraced Christianity, but generally, if you were a Christian, people thought that was a good thing, and the principles of Christianity uh, were often embraced by a lot of society, and there was quite a bit of overlap between what we would say were Christian values and societal values. And then here in really the last decade, it seems, there's kind of been a newfound permission to disrespect the Christian faith, to make fun of Christians, to belittle those that believe in God, and to attack those that stand for things that we believe are truth that come from the Word of God. There's a new reality that I live with as a pastor. When I go into the community, there are some people that despise me without even knowing me, and it's just because I'm a Baptist preacher. I'm the pastor of the church in town, and without even knowing anything about me, they don't like me. And my friends that are in law enforcement, they face the same thing these days. A lot of people just don't like them. Uh, School teachers are even beginning to face this a little bit, where if you represent authority, if you try to stand for something that is truth, then a lot of people just don't want to be around you. Now, what's okay is that it's really not so bad because (laughs) Jesus was kind of despised too, 
Did you ever notice that? There's a lot of people that didn't really like Jesus. They didn't really want to be around Jesus. But let me ask you this question. You think about what Jesus taught, the core of his message, how pure it is. You think about how he lived and the way in which he extended love. Why is it that so many people didn't like him? Why is it that so many people literally despised Jesus? Well, our passage today gives us a little insight as to how do people get to that point where they literally push away and dislike intensely the things of the Lord. Beginning in verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 4, the Scriptures say, Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. Now notice the progression here. It begins with futility of thinking. In your mind, those things that you dwell on are futile. Now that word futility, whenever you drill down into it, it means twisted thoughts, empty thoughts, frail thoughts, thoughts that are not really strong, or non-spiritual thinking. So when the Scriptures say that they gave themselves over to futile thinking, it's talking about the fact that they, they day in, day out, thought about things that had no real depth to them, no strength, they were godless in their mindsets, and as their thinking patterns began to dwell and became, became uh, emerged from that futile thinking, it began to be seen in their lives. Within the culture in which we live, there's a lot of futile thinking. I, I was looking at the song titles for the top, top pop songs from 2015, and here were some of the titles that our, our music, uh, Blank Space, Uptown Funk, Thinking Out Loud, Style, Sugar, Earned It, Cheerleader, Can't Feel My Face, What Do You Mean, Hello. I mean, you got to love the depth of our culture, right? You know, music is the language of our soul, and so whenever you look at a culture's music, you begin to see what is in that culture's heart. And you see a lot of futility, a lot of superficiality. You also see this in, in the sports world, too. I mean, a lot of you guys, a lot of us thought the Cowboys were going to win the Super Bowl this year, didn't we? I mean, talk about futile thinking. I mean, that's just shallow, superficial thinking, not going to happen. Well, the progression continues. The thoughts become darkened. Their understanding, and the Scriptures say, excluded from the life of God. That word, darkened. It literally means a blinded mind. The mind no longer sees things spiritually. It, it is blinded. Truth can come to them, but they don't see it. A couple weeks ago, I asked you to pray for my dad. He uh, had back surgery on December 21st, had a heart event 
on December 24th. Uh, I asked you to pray for him the following Sunday. I, I don't think that I've told you guys yet about this, but he had a stroke uh, on the 26th, and so that's always a very serious thing. He's been in rehab trying to regain uh, his, his muscle function and things of that nature. And so I ask you to pray for him. One of the things that he's working through is that he has difficulty seeing out of his left eye. And this has been very interesting for me to learn about because his eye works. It takes in light. He's able to, I mean, it's able to see. What doesn't work is the, the brain function there. So whenever light comes in, your brain has to interpret what it's seeing. And so if, if the brain can't interpret what it's seeing, it just kind of goes dormant. Now, interestingly enough, he can see reactionarily. So if something just kind of invades his eyesight, he can see that. But if he's just sitting in a room, his left eye will just kind of go dormant. Well, whenever I think about this concept of a darkened understanding, the light can still be shined in, but whenever the mind has become darkened, they are excluded from the life of God. Even though the truth shines and even though people speak the truth, they do not see it, they do not comprehend it because the mind has grown dark. Well, the progression continues. It says the heart becomes hardened to the point that an individual is callous towards the things of God. Just like you develop calluses on your hands or calluses on your feet, you can also develop a calloused heart towards spiritual things, towards uh, sensitive things, towards emotional things. Your heart becomes so calloused that nothing penetrates your soul. And then the Scripture says there's a surrendering. There's a surrendering of themselves over to the promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. Just a surrendering that this world is all that there is, that there is nothing spiritual within us, and that life is merely a chase after things, and we just want more and more and more, and our life becomes a hedonistic uh, obsession with the absorption, absorption of events. And if anybody threatens our ability to absorb life on our own terms, we have to attack them. Because whenever you run away from God, you ultimately reach this point of surrender where this life is all you have. And so you want to live it, and you don't want anybody to tell you how you're supposed to live it. Well, in verse 20, the Scriptures begin painting for us a contrast. It's the Christian contrast. The Scriptures say, but that is not how you learned about the Messiah. Now, who's the Messiah? Jesus. Assuming you heard about Him and were taught by Him, because the truth is in Jesus. Now, look at the imagery of verse 22. You took off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, and you are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. You put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. 
Now, I said earlier that Jesus was and is often despised. In fact, I would go so far to say that Jesus is easily the most polarizing figure to ever live. If you read the news headlines today, 2,000 years after the crucifixion and resurrection events, most of the stories that are in the news today somehow have a connection to the life and times of Jesus Christ. You have people that have distorted Jesus' message into new faiths. You see them in the news today. You have people that are trying to push back the teachings of Jesus. You see them in the news today. You have people that have embraced the teachings of Jesus. You see them in the news today. Most of the stories of the news today are somehow connected to the most climactic event in human history, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He was hated so much that many plotted to kill him. And yet he was also loved so much that people would surrender all to follow him. And the reason for this is that the Bible says that truth is in Jesus. There are absolutes in him. There is truth that doesn't change uh, with the shifting winds that is to be found in Jesus. And Christ taught us that you're either all in or you're all out. There's really no mushy middle. There's no in-between. You either believe in Him or you do not. You're either a follower of Christ or you're at enmity with God. And because uh, Jesus didn't just teach us to follow a set of teachings, but He taught us to believe in Him and then follow Him, because of that, He, he is polarizing. He, he is sharp. And there are many that love Him with all their hearts, and there are many that will reject them with, their, with, reject them with everything in their being. Now, there's a problem point here that we experience specifically within Southern culture. Over the last hundred years of Christianity in Southern America, we have created a, a church culture. Now, there are many people that have grown up in church in the South over the last century that are very sincere believers, and these sincere believers have done incredible things when it comes to the areas of missions, evangelism, have built great churches where people have invested their lives and raised their children, and they have encountered God week in and week out. Yet there's also been a, I think, inadvertent weakness that we created a culture where people could do church without really embracing Jesus. If you roll the clock back about 20 years ago in southern United States, uh, go into church, say in grace, and obey in the Ten Commandments. That's just what you did, you know? If you lived in the south, you went to church, you said grace, and you obeyed the Ten Commandments. And there was an expectation. You saw it in the business world. You saw it in the schools. There was this expectation that in southern America, we do church. And if the man of the house didn't do church, then mama did. And a lot of times, if, uh, they would make sure that the kids would do it. And so the kids had to be reared in church. So the problem became that there were a lot of people who were wearing the Christian faith, 
but who had never really put on Jesus. They do church, but Jesus had never really invaded the rest of their life. And so you would go to meeting on Sunday, and you would sing the hymns, and you would pray the prayers, and you would pray before bed, and you would, you, you would follow the Ten Commandments, but the rest of your life you just lived like everybody else. So here's a spiritual question for you to wrestle with. Have you ever taken off your old way of living and put on the new you? Have you ever really put on Christ so that He's a part of every aspect of your life? Let me illustrate. I've got this sports coat on today. Okay? Thank you. Appreciate that. Anybody want pictures? Anybody? Um, I put it on. Everywhere I go, I wear it. People see it. I'm wearing the coat. If I go to the store, people see the coat. If I go home and I have the coat on, people see the coat. We're to put on Christ. We're to wear Him wherever we go. But there's a lot of people when it came to Christianity Instead of putting on Jesus, they kind of wore him like an accessory. And so you'd kind of throw it over the shoulder, you know. You had it with you, but, you know, you didn't necessarily have Christ on everywhere you go. And you might keep him in the car in case it gets a little cold and you need him. But, you know, he's more of an accessory to your life than an identifying factor in your life. And there were some in Southern culture in particular who kind of wore Jesus because it, it gives us a little swag, you know. And so you kind of draped him in your life. And he was kind of like a vitamin pill, you know. It was the healthy thing to do. And it was cool to be a follower of Jesus. And it was cool to be a part uh, of the big church. And it was cool to be a part of, of the, the people that were followers of Christ. And so you kind of you wore Jesus because he gave you a little bit of swag. And then there were some that you... Uh, you kind of, you like that? You kind of wore Jesus inside out, okay? And on the outside, you had a lot of flash in your life. And on the inside, you had your Jesus. And you would just kind of flash Jesus every now and then to people, okay? So on the outside, you looked just like everybody else, but whenever you needed your Christianity, you had it. And so if the kids were disobeying, you would come in and say, hey, let's say it the Lord. If you started getting worried that the children were going to grow up and not know right from wrong and do something crazy like go to Yale, you would, you would kind of just flash a little Christianity and say, hey, thus saith the Lord. And whenever it was convenient for you, you, you would show a little bit of Christianity. But the rest of the time, man, you were, you were pursuing the materialistic things of the world just like everybody else. The spiritual side of you was not really alive. Listen, Jesus doesn't want to just be added to your life. He wants to transform your life so that the old you is so far gone that the new you becomes who you are in everything that you do. The scriptures say we are to put on Christ. Look at verse 20 again. But that is not how you learned about the Messiah, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him because the truth is in Jesus, 
you took off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. You are being renewed in the spirit of your mind, and you put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. What does the new you look like? Well, instead of futile thinking, you embrace the truth. The old you thought that truth was just a matter of opinion. Whatever people believe, that's true for them. But the new you finds truth in Christ. And whenever you're wondering what's right and what's wrong, the first place you look is God's holy word. The old you, deep inside you, always felt unstable. Because right and wrong in the world around you, they were always changing. And so today people told you, hey, you're supposed to champion this cause. And so you would champion it. And then uh, once you achieved, then the next day there was a new cause. And this value that you had five years ago has changed into this value. And so it just always felt like life was shifting and there was no real stability. And you were always chasing after the wind But the new you finds calm, even in unstable time. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. What does the new you look like? Well, instead of darkened desires, you have spiritual desires. You're able to see the world Spiritually, light comes in and you are able to interpret it and understand that the old you was never satisfied. You always wanted more. The new you finds a deep spiritual satisfaction. And whether you have little or whether you have much, things are okay because your heart has found a place of peace. The old you you would accomplish something. And in your mind, you thought, if I can just reach this point of achievement, then I'll be satisfied. And so you would work really hard, and you would achieve, and you'd reach that point, and then you would discover that you were still not fulfilled. In fact, achievement just unlocked greater dissatisfaction. And so the more you achieved and the further you went, the more you longed for something that was just missing in your life. The new you, you continue to work hard, but you know that the ultimate goals of life are not going to be found in material things or temporary accomplishments. The ultimate goals of life are spiritual. And we give our lives and we live our lives for those things that last forever. And whenever you invest your life in things that do not fade, you find a deep, calm satisfaction within you. What does the new you look like? Well, instead of a hardened heart, you have a loving heart. The old you used to hide behind cynicism. You would belittle people. You would often call it your sense of humor, but in reality, it was a mask that you wore because you had lost hope. 
because you had lost hope and because you'd been hurt, you hurt other people. You tore them apart. And you were always cynical about hopes and dreams. The new you finds laughter. And it finds joy because you have hope. The old you, you never told anybody about this. But you would find quiet joy when people who aren't like you suffered. When people that you disliked failed. You wouldn't say it out loud, but inside you'd kind of smile. But the new you, it weeps when people hurt. It finds joy when people are set free in grace and truth. And it longs for people who are much different than you to experience the same grace and truth that has set you free. What does the new you look like? Instead of surrendering to the impurities of this world, you surrender to the purity of truth in Jesus. The old you lived to please everyone else. And you would work real hard to meet all their expectations. And whenever you came back to them out of breath saying, hey, I've done everything. I've checked all the boxes on the list. They would hand you another list. And you would start again. And you could never meet everybody's expectations. The new you lives to please Christ. The old you did what everyone else expected you to do. The new you does what Jesus expects you to do. The old you worked really hard to be normal. What everybody else believed, that's what I have to believe. What everybody else was doing, that's what I have to do. I have to do whatever I can to just fit in and be normal. But the new you realizes that in Christ, you're a little abnormal. But that's okay. It's okay. Because you're in Christ. Imagine how different 2016 is going to be for the new you. Imagine how different your marriage is going to be. Imagine how different you'll parent. Imagine how different you'll see your career, how you'll care for your health, how you'll take care of your finances. Imagine the faith that you'll have. Imagine the hope that you'll have. Imagine the renewed dreams that you'll follow. Imagine the love that you'll experience when you put on Christ and the new you, the identity that is found in Christ, is taken into every area of your life. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? If your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want to ask you, first of all, this question. Has there ever been a time where you surrendered to Jesus as Lord and Savior? not just doing church, not just trying to be a good person, but you actually surrendered your heart to Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. If there's never been that time in your life, I want to invite you to make this that time. And right where you're standing, I want to invite you to call out to God 
You may pray something like this. Heavenly Father, I have sinned. I ask for your forgiveness. I pray that you might change me from the inside out. Today I'm believing in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I am committing my life to being a follower of Jesus. And I pray that through your spirit, my spirit might come alive. And I will be able to see the things of God and live my life differently. Living for you. Pray that prayer in the name of Jesus. And if this is the day where you begin your walk with Christ, do me a favor. Please let me know. I'll be here at the front during this next song. I'll be here after the service as well. I want to be a pastor to you and an encouragement to you. There are others in this room today that if you look at your life, you're not wearing Christ everywhere you go. And so I ask you this question. Do some things need to change? Do some things need to change in your life? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to come to you or call you out or anything like that. But if some things need to change in your life, I want to pray for you today. Would you just lift your hand and say, Lash, there's some things that need to change in my life. Pray for me. Just lift your hand right where you are. I won't embarrass you. Everybody's heads are down. There's some things that need to change in my life. I need to, I need to start wearing Christ wherever I go and do more than just go, going to church. I, I need to be, be like Christ. Just lift your hand. Father, I pray. I pray that we might be like Christ. And that we will measure the depth of our commitment to Christ not by facts and things that we know about you, but may we measure the depth of our commitment to you by our love for you and by how you are changing us from the inside out. And I pray that as individuals and as a church that we will wear our identity in Christ wherever we go and that you might use us to make a difference, a difference that begins at home, overflows into our streets, into our church, and into the world around us. Father, may we be light in a darkened world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.